Let's pray as we begin this message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have spoken to us through your word and through Jesus, your son. And as we open the Bible today and uh, as we uh, try to discern what you want to say to us, would you just speak into our hearts? Help us to hear from Jesus. We need a word from Jesus. And Father, use this passage to strengthen us, to challenge us, and to encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. A family from a very rural area in the hills of Tennessee had never been to the big city. And they came to visit one day, and they were amazed by almost everything they saw. They went to a hotel, and the mom excused herself to use the ladies' room. And while they were waiting for her, the dad and son saw two shiny silver walls that moved apart and back together again. The boy asked his father, what is that, dad? And the father responded, son, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I don't know what it is. While the boy and his father were watching wide-eyed, a elderly lady in a wheelchair rolled up and the moving uh, and pressed a button and the moving walls opened up and the lady rolled between them into a small room and the walls closed and the boy and his father watched as small circles of light with numbers above the walls lit up and they continued to watch as the circle of lights uh, went up and then uh, they came back in the reverse direction, and the walls opened up again, and a beautiful 24-year-old woman stepped out. They were amazed. The father said, quick, son, go get your mother. Well, I guess if you had never seen one before, an elevator might look like a miracle machine. Today, we're continuing our series called A Word from Jesus by looking at his words Everything is possible for one who believes. And these words bring both hope and suspicion. Hope because there are so many hurts around us. There are so many lives that need to be changed. Many of us really need a miracle in our lives. But suspicion because we have had faith and not always experienced a miracle. Before we're done, we'll deal with both sides of that equation. But let's talk about this subject and see if we can learn to have faith that experiences miracles. To start, it's probably important to know the context of when Jesus said this. He actually said it right before he worked a miracle. The event occurred when Jesus wasn't even there. He had taken three of his closest followers up on a mountain for what we now call the transfiguration. And the event is also recorded in Matthew 17 and Luke 9, but we seem to have the best details in Mark 9, so I'll be using that passage. And I think this event points out several facts about faith. The first is, sometimes faith fails. Sometimes faith fails. While Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples, the other nine are approached by a father and his son looking for Jesus. 
And when they find that Jesus is gone, he asks the disciples to cast a demon out of his son. And the disciples felt that they could handle it. Uh, They thought, why wait for Jesus to get back? We can do this. We have done it before. And they had. Mark chapter 6 tells of the time Jesus sent out uh, his followers in pairs and they were casting out demons. They were healing people and they felt pretty confident, but their faith tried but failed to trust. Their faith tried but failed to trust. They didn't understand why. I mean, they had done this before, and this time it wasn't working. They tried to cast out the demon, but they couldn't do it. Later, Jesus will tell them that they needed to pray more and to trust him more to be successful. They thought that they could do it, but they failed. Has that ever happened to you? It has to me. There have been times when I have felt like a spiritual giant when it comes to faith. And other times when I have felt like a spiritual pygmy when it comes to faith. And sometimes those two feelings have happened very close together. I sure know what it feels like to have a faith that fails. I imagine you do too. Like me, you know what it's like to try to overcome a sin habit and to stand strong and to be victorious and it feels so good. And then just... An hour or a day later, we slip into the same sin and we feel like such a failure. Now, notice a sad principle. Failure draws a crowd. Failure draws a crowd. Several years ago, I went shopping for shoes. I was in a department store looking at shoes and there was no one around. I mean, I had to go looking for a sales clerk. I finally found someone to get me the shoe that I wanted to try on and my size. And he brought them to me, and then he disappeared again. The shoes fit, and they looked really good on me, but there was no one around to notice. And I got up, and I walked around in the shoes, uh, uh, trying to find a mirror to admire how good they looked. And while I was doing that, while I was walking, I tripped over a stool that I didn't see. And it was a great fall. I mean, like a stuntman, except I was hurt, and the stuntman wouldn't have been hurt. I looked up, and suddenly the area had, that had been completely empty was now full of people. I mean, about a thousand people were there to witness my fall. I expected them to hold up cards uh, to score how well I did. And it shouldn't be this way, but it is. When things are going well, people usually don't notice. When they're going bad, that's when people will start watching and talking. The sad fact is, if you want to be noticed, fail. This is even true in the church. Unfortunately, it is far too typical for religious people. Too often, religious people are quicker to be critical than encouraging. And this was the case on this day, too. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. 
When Jesus returned, he found the disciples surrounded by a crowd and arguing with the teachers of the law. But that brings up another question. What about these religious leaders? What about these teachers of the law? What kind of faith did they have? Well, apparently, their faith talked but failed to try. Their faith talked but failed to try. We have no indication whatsoever that these religious leaders ever tried to help the man and his son. It appears they just started debating after the disciples failed to drive out the demon. What were they arguing about? We really don't know. I mean, maybe they were talking about the theology of demon possession. Or maybe they were explaining the right way to do an exorcism. Whatever the discussion, realize they were having this self-righteous debate while this father stood there with his son needing a miracle. Too often, people who, who are hurting, people who are in need of, uh, uh, with some hurt, sit on the sidelines while church people want to sit about debating the right way to win people to Jesus or how uh, they don't like the music in the church or why the church around the corner believes the wrong thing. They need a miracle from Jesus and we stand around and argue. Shame on us. At least the disciples tried. I mean, sure, they needed some help from Jesus, but they tried. I'd rather have partial faith or weak faith uh, than faith that is all talk. I'd rather try and fail than fail to try. And I guess I should ask that question from a different standpoint. Is your faith all talk today? Maybe you don't stand around engaging in self-righteous debate, but if the church is something that you just give an hour to on Sunday, um, if Jesus hasn't made any changes in how you live your life or how you talk or how you care for others, it might just be that your faith is all talk. Maybe your faith is failing because you are just saying spiritual things without ever really trying or trusting Jesus at all. There's a second fact about faith that it was demonstrated that day, and that is sometimes faith wavers. Sometimes faith wavers. We're talking here about the father. I mean, he obviously had faith. He brought his son to Jesus, believing that Jesus could cast out the demon. Even when he found out Jesus was gone, he had enough faith to believe that the followers of Jesus could cast out the demon. He had come with enough faith to ask them to cast out the demon. He really believed the power of God through Jesus was the solution for his problem. But after seeing the failure of the disciples and seeing the followers of Jesus and the religious leaders debate faith while ignoring his son's need, his faith changed some. He was beginning to doubt and his faith was wavering. But in our story, Jesus has returned. He comes down the mountain and he sees the crowd of people. He sees this argument going on and he says, what's going on? And the father runs to Jesus and explains that the, that the disciples failed to cast out the demon. So Jesus asks them to bring the boy to him. 
Look at what happens next. Start with verse 20. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now those aren't words of faith. Imagine saying to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, but don't miss the situation. The demon throws the boy into, uh, in, onto the ground in a seizure right there in front of Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus wants to have a question and answer session. He looks at the boy convulsing on the ground. And he says, wow, interesting. How long has this been going on? And the father is panicked. He's watching his son suffer. And he wants to be polite, but he really wants Jesus to help his son. And I imagine he was talking fast when he answered and said, from childhood, and it has often thrown him into the water or fire to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He is absolutely panicked and he wants help. But Jesus is just talking just like the other religious leaders did. And his son is suffering right at that very minute. And so Jesus hasn't done anything about it. That brings up a couple of questions we probably should ask ourselves. How does your faith affect the faith of others? It does have an effect, you know. I mean, the failing faith of the disciples and the teachers of the law caused the father's faith to waver and to weaken. And when your faith is weak, it will affect the faith of others around you. Doubt is contagious. Doubt is contagious. Every group of friends, every church meeting, and every family tends to have at least one Eeyore in the group. Eeyore is Winnie the Pooh's donkey friend, and he always has a very dark and negative view of life. And these people hear dreams about fun vacations or great ideas of faith, and they say, it will never work. It will cost way too much money or it's just not practical. We've all had them in our personal life shooting down our hopes and dreams. And they're in most churches criticizing what God is trying to do. And we have to be careful because doubt is contagious. But faith is also contagious. If you believe that God can work in a situation and that he's going to work in the situation, it will affect the people around you. Your faith has an effect on other people. If you want your kids to believe greatly in God, you'd better be a person of faith who believes greatly in God. It really is up to you. Your kids will reflect your faith, either a faith that is strong and expects great things or a faith that doubts and questions and is critical. Another question we should ask is how does the faith of others affect my faith? Unfortunately, many people have been devastated by the failure of someone else's faith. 
they have come to Christ and been helped in their growth by a teacher or a leader or a parent, and later that person walks away from their faith completely, or they sin greatly, and people they influenced are very disillusioned and disappointed. And you can count on it. People will fail you. But notice something else. People can also help your faith grow. We can, we can be positively influenced also. Since the faith of other people has an effect on us, we should surround ourselves with positive faith-filled people. Our trust should always and only be on Jesus. But positive, encouraging people of faith can help me grow in my own faith. Don't ever let someone else destroy your faith. Decide to let people help build your faith, but don't let someone destroy it or pull you away from Jesus. The final fact about faith that we see in the passage is sometimes, sometimes faith experiences miracles. Look again at what the Father said to Jesus and to Jesus' response this time. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. Jesus works a miracle. He works a miracle. He casts out the demon uh, from this boy. But before he does, he confronts the father's faith. He says the words that we're talking about today. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And the father's response is wonderful. He says, I believe but help me overcome my unbelief. Again, don't forget, the sun is on the ground right then, right in front of them, convulsing violently. In effect, the father says, Jesus, I believe. I believe, Jesus, but even if I don't believe enough, please help my son. Help me to believe more. Do the miracle. Even after everything else, this father is still expecting a miracle. He believed Jesus could and would perform the miracle that he needed to help his son. I want that kind of faith. I want the kind of faith that expects miracles and experiences miracles. I wonder how many miracles I have missed because it never even dawned on me to expect Jesus to work a miracle. I wonder how many times I have been so focused on what was possible, I missed out on God doing something impossible in my life. Jesus taught in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth one day, and the people were offended by his teaching. They were offended by his teaching because they knew his family. 
They had known him growing up, and they just didn't think that he could be anyone special. And the Bible tells us specifically that Jesus did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I've seen Jesus do some miracles in my life and in the life of the churches that I've served. But I have this nagging fear that he doesn't do as many miracles in our life or in our country or in our church because of our lack of faith. Many times we don't experience a miracle because we just aren't expecting a miracle. I want to see more miracles in my life. I want to see more miracles in the life of impact, don't you? So as we conclude, let me answer two really important questions. The first is, how do we experience miracles? How do we experience miracles? Let me give you three steps. The first step to experience a miracle is to experience a problem or a need. Now, let's just take a poll. How many of you spend a lot of time trying to avoid problems in your life? And how many of you have problems anyway? Now, this will seem weird to you, but I'm glad you have problems because having problems makes you a candidate for a miracle. Every miracle in the Bible started with a problem that someone couldn't handle alone. The man in our story had a demon-possessed son he had a problem, and he experienced a miracle as a result. So if you want a miracle, you need a problem in your life. Step two is ask God to grow your faith. I like the Father's prayer to Jesus. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's a prayer we need to pray. I, I have faith in Jesus, but Jesus I need you to work in my life to eradicate all the unbelief that's left in me. And I try to pray that every day, to just say, Jesus, help me get rid of my unbelief. Help me to trust you more. Don't limit what you are doing in my life to what I can understand. Go beyond my understanding. Amaze me with your power and your love. Help me believe in you more. And I think God likes it when we pray that kind of a prayer. He is never irritated when we ask him to grow our faith. Step three is to spend some time in miracle territory. Spend some time in miracle territory. Sometimes we spend too much time in logic land or in knowledge land, and we spend so much time there that we begin to think that following God is all about Bible knowledge and common sense and logic. And Bible knowledge is important, and he does expect us to use common sense and logic. But when we spend all our time there, we never really enter miracle territory. So let your mind move beyond what seems logical and possible to what Jesus could do in a miraculous way. There's a scripture I love in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, with God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. Now, the logical side of me wants to just acknowledge that that's true that God is capable of doing more than what I think about, more than what I imagine or ask. I want, I want, though, to let my mind imagine God doing more. 
I want to move into miracle territory. And so I let my mind imagine God doing more, and I ask him to do more. So I dream big dreams of what God can do for my family members, what God can do for my friends, what God can do for our church. And then I ask God to do those things, believing fully that he is capable of doing that, that he can do those things. And when I'm done, I know one thing for sure. He wants to do even more than what I've asked, even more than what I've imagined and dreamed. I want to spend more time in miracle territory. In other words, we need to begin to allow ourselves to expect a miracle. But before we run out of time, we need to deal with the second question, and it's a really important one. What if you don't experience your miracle? What if you don't experience your miracle? I'm well aware that when we talk about this kind of passage, there are some people in the room who are struggling. I mean, they've needed a miracle, and they've prayed for it, and they have really believed that Jesus could do it. They had uh, strong faith. They were full of faith, and the miracle hasn't happened. Miracle hasn't happened. Passages like this either make you feel guilty because you didn't have enough faith or doubtful because you know that you did and you didn't get your miracle. I want to tell you that I've been there. I have felt both sides of those feelings. So let me give you three quick suggestions of what to do when you don't experience your miracle. First, keep praying. It might not be the right time. If the miracle is still possible, keep praying because sometimes in the Bible, God took a long time before he let miracles happen. In fact, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18, the first eight verses about a woman constantly coming to a judge and begging him, demanding what she wanted. And eventually the judge gives her what she wanted. And the passage says that Jesus told this story to tell us, his followers, that we should always pray and not give up. And so keep praying. It might not be the right time. Secondly, keep trusting. It might not be the best solution. Sometimes we are convinced there's only one solution in the situation we're in. And we're convinced that the miracle that we're asking for is the best solution or the only solution. And yet sometimes Jesus sees things that we don't see. And he knows that the miracle we're asking for isn't the best solution. Do you realize that if God answered every prayer for a person to be healed, no one would ever die? No one would ever die. And the truth is, Jesus said everything is possible for one who believes. He didn't say everything is promised for one who believes. We need to keep trusting that God will do what is best, not particularly what we request. Here's the third suggestion. Ultimately, crave Jesus, not the miracle. Crave Jesus, not the miracle. When we need a miracle, we tend to crave the miracle. 
every day we crave the miracle, we look for it, we ask for it, and we think if we receive the miracle of healing for someone that we love, or the miracle of an addiction being just taken away, or uh, the miracle of a relationship being put back together, that we would know that God was with us, that we would know that God is on our side if we got the miracle. But scripture is clear. If we have trusted Jesus for our salvation, he is with us. He is on our side. And that is true in good times and in bad times. That's good when he feels, or that's true when he feels close and when he feels far away. So instead of craving the miracle, crave Jesus. Stay close to him because if he decides the miracle you're craving isn't what should happen, staying close to him will help you to understand that and help you through that. In fact, in a few weeks in this series, we'll talk about the Apostle Paul praying for a miracle in his life, and he heard Jesus say to him, no, Paul, there's not going to be a miracle this time. So Jesus has a word for us today. His word is, everything is possible for one who believes. And I'm not sure where you're at today. I mean, maybe some of you gave up on your miracle a long time ago. Oh, you started out believing, but someone helped you to get logical and reasonable about things. Or God hasn't been fast about providing your miracle, and you just have come to believe it isn't going to happen. Or some of you have never even considered the possibility of Jesus doing a miracle in your life because it just doesn't make sense to you. It just seems so impossible. Now, I can't promise that he will do the miracle that you want in the way that you think that he should do it, but I can promise you that Jesus is powerful enough to come into the place where you're hurting, into the problem that you're experiencing, and he will hear your prayers, he will hear your needs, and he can do much, much more than you have ever asked or imagined. Open your heart to the possibility that he can do what seems impossible to you right now. I love this little poem by Sheldon Silverstein. He said, listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves. Then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And that may start with the prayer that that desperate father prayed to Jesus that day. Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Forgive us for the times that we have been so logical, that we have seen what was possible and we've failed to trust you to do what was impossible. Father, we believe that you still work miracles in our world and we ask that you will increase our faith, that you will help us in the areas of unbelief. Father, we pray that you will work in mighty ways in our church. We pray that you will work in mighty ways in our country. We pray, Father, that you will do miracles in our lives. 
in our relationships, in our homes. And Father, we pray without any doubt, knowing that you can do far more than we've ever asked or imagined. And Father, we tell you again, we are open to you doing more in our lives. We want you to work in us and through us. We want to let you love us and love others through us, not in common ways, but in miraculous ways. And so, Father, we wait for you to work, and we thank you for your love and your comfort and your patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen.